Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NAHU's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. This week, HHS published a proposed rule regarding requirements created by the Consolidated Appropriations Act, or CAA. This much-anticipated proposed rule deals with broker compensation, transparency requirements for individual and short-term limited-duration plans, as well as information regarding surprise billing of air ambulances. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, Marcy Buckner is here once again to discuss the proposed rule, what it means for you, and where we go from here. So, finally, this is the guidance on broker compensation disclosure that we have been looking for since the CAA passed. Is this all there is, or does NAHU expect more to come? Well, Dan, this proposed rule is specifically for the individual market and short-term plans. The requirements in the CAA are for individual short-term plans and the group market. So we, right now, don't have any further guidance on the group market. And there are a few things that could happen here. So there's a chance that this could be it, that this is all we get for further guidance, and it's focused on the individual market. Or the Department of Labor could come out with further guidance on the group plans. HHS has the jurisdiction over the individual market, which is why we saw this proposed rule coming out from HHS but the Department of Labor oversees the group markets, which is why they would have to be the agency that releases anything further. However, as we've noted before on this podcast and in other resources that we've made available, the wording in the statute doesn't require further rulemaking in any of the markets. So where we saw HHS take an additional step and provide guidance for the individual market, There is a chance that we may not see that on the group side for the Department of Labor, but we haven't had a formal announcement either way from the Department of Labor. So there is still a chance we could see this. Right now, I would advise folks to look at the requirements in the statute of the CAA for the group market to review ways of being in compliance until we know whether we will be getting any further guidance from the Department of Labor for group plans. So NAHU, of course, submitted a letter to agencies regarding our concerns about the implementation of both these individual and group health plan broker compensation transparency requirements earlier this year. So were there any suggestions or concerns that we voiced that made their way into this proposed rule? We had a number of concerns. Um, One with the individual market was making sure that the way that the statute was written, that puts the responsibility of disclosure on the issuers or the insurers, making sure that that was honored in the implementation of the requirements. And then also asking for more information on how they were defining direct and indirect compensation. 
there are several different ways that agents and brokers are paid. And so we wanted to make sure that those were all reflected in the guidance or for the rules so that there wouldn't be any questions when it came down to the actual compliance. We don't want any of you being penalized for not being in compliance because something isn't clear, especially when the way that the statute was written didn't really recognize the fact that there are different revenue streams and different ways that you all can be paid. So yes, as you just mentioned, this is one area which we saw clarification with these definitions, particularly definitions of indirect and direct compensation. So how does HHS define these terms for the purposes of this rule? Here they define direct compensation as monetary amounts, including sales and base commissions paid by an issuer that are attributable directly to the policy certificate or contract of insurance and that are paid to an agent or broker for the sale, placement, or renewal of individual health insurance coverage or short-term limited duration insurance. Indirect compensation was defined as payments by an issuer attributable indirectly to a policy certificate or contract of insurance to agents, brokers, and other persons for items other than sales and base commission. And they did give us a few examples, which is another thing that we asked for especially for indirect compensation. And the examples that they provide, and these are by no means meant to be exhaustive of all of the different types of indirect compensation, but are, again, what they have provided for some guidance here. And they would include service fees, consulting fees, finders fees, profitability and persistency bonuses, awards, prizes, volume-based incentives, and non-monetary forms of compensation. They also, with this, provided an additional definition for commission schedule, since that is also something that the issuers could provide as part of the disclosure requirement. So they could disclose the direct and indirect compensation or a commission schedule. And so also, like I said, included a definition of that with the commission schedule being an itemized list or table that provides the commission levels that are paid by an issuer for the sale, placement, or renewal of individual health coverage or short-term limited duration insurance. As you mentioned already, this proposed rule really puts the compliance burden on the, the health insurance issuer rather than the agent. So what exactly does this proposed rule require of the issuer? So the issuer has two different points of disclosure. One is to the consumer and the other is to HHS. So let's start with the disclosure to the consumer. And the issuer has to provide this information of the agent or broker's commission or their commission schedule to the consumer at a time prior to entering into a final plan selection. And for the where this data is to be made available, it can be included on any documentation confirming the initial enrollment or included in enrollment documentation that's required either by state or federal law, or it can be included in an initial enrollment package. 
HHS did not provide a sample form that needs to be used by the issuer. They basically kind of said that this could be a line item that's included in any of these types of documents and that for anyone who is renewing a plan that it also be included in those renewal documents. And with this, they were really careful in pointing out that they also recognize that oftentimes when someone is renewing that they don't go through the same plan selection process every every year, every time. Sometimes there are people who go through auto re-enrollment. And so when they get their new documents, even if they are auto re-enrolled, if they are working with an agent or broker, it needs to be included on those plan documents. And then they also pointed out that with individual plans, there are instances where a family is all on an individual plan and the main policyholder might be a head of household. And those instances, they don't need to secure verification from everyone in the family. They, they noted how ridiculous it would be to try to make sure that they had verification from an infant that might be on a family individual plan. And so it just needs to be, like I said, the head of policy holder for, for instances like those. So they did recognize that there were some instances where some of the requirements may not quite fit. And so with this disclosure requirement, it's really to ensure that the person who is choosing the coverage and agreeing to be financially responsible for the premiums and other payments due under the insurance contract can evaluate whether and to what extent the advice that they're receiving may have been influenced by a compensation arrangement an agent or broker has with an issuer. And this is something that we really tried to make sure we were educating members of Congress who included this section in the CAA and then also policymakers where there is this misconception that, and especially with individual plans, that the amount of compensation to agents from specific issuers could lead to steering a client into a certain plan. But you and I both know that for the most part, especially in the individual market, the commission is basically the same across carriers. And so steering for for a small variance in commission is, is just not really something that's happening. And if you do end up doing that and the individual isn't put in the plan that's best for them, you're not going to get that re-enrollment the next year. You're not going to have them as part of your book of business. So trying to, to steer clients in that manner is just not really something that's part of the industry. Unfortunately, that wasn't something that the members of Congress and, and policy holders were holding steady with. And so that's kind of how we ended up here. I think something that they're going to learn is from all of this and this exercise is that with the second disclosure requirement, which is for the issuers to disclose this information to HHS, HHS is going to collect this data. And so I think once they start collecting it and looking at it, they're going to see exactly what we've been telling them, that there is a very small difference in the commissions that are being paid and that individuals that are going into the individual market and using an agent or broker are, for the most part, being enrolled in the best plans available to them. And folks that are enrolled in individual market plans, the vast majority of them have been using an agent or broker to be enrolled. 
So I think all of this data, once HHS does have it, is going to really prove some of the arguments that we've been stating all along and, and show that there really was a misconception for kind of the, the origin of all of these requirements. Aside from the individual market broker compensation, this proposed rule also touches on surprise billing from an air ambulance perspective. As a reminder, the surprise billing ban included in the CAA did include protections for patients transported by air ambulances. This is the second part of surprise billing regulations to come out of the administration, part one coming out in July. So in this area, health insurance issuers are once again the entity of focus. What is HHS requiring here? Similar to what we've seen with some of the other requirements from the CAA and the transparency and coverage requirements, this will require air ambulance providers, group health plans, and health insurers offering group and individual coverage to submit information about air ambulances to HHS, the Department of Labor, and Treasury. And then they are going to end up sending out a report every year from HHS about this data, and then they'll enter into some further rulemaking. But the data that they're going to provide is going to include the average cost per trip, ancillary fees for specialty services like neonatal or cardiac services, and the volume of transports and takeoff down to specific zip codes. When we initially saw air ambulances included in the No Surprises Act and thought that we were going to have a a large step taken forward on surprise billing for air ambulances, what we're now seeing in the rules is that they're taking the step to collect a large amount of data and then will take further action after they have collected some of this data from the issuers about the costs of air ambulances. So we're not going to see a large shift right away, which we're probably not going to see on surprise billing initially either, since we're still waiting on other rules on the independent dispute resolution or the arbitration process. But the air ambulance process is going to take just a little bit longer because they're taking this first step of collecting data and then moving forward with some further requirements. It is now time for the NHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. What are we toasting to this week? This week we're toasting to the House. They are working on marking up the reconciliation bill and a number of their committees. We're watching very closely as a number of the provisions relate back to the health insurance industry and could touch on all of the markets, individual, group, Medicaid, and Medicare. So make sure you're reading your Washington update every Friday to get the latest on what's included in the reconciliation package. Cheers. Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.